Coming home to your meditation seat. And telling yourself you're safe, it's okay, you can relax. Scanning down the body like we have been. Starting with the forehead. Just allowing that area to relax. It's helpful you can picture the curve of a smile across the forehead. Letting them feel like they're just floating, suspended. The corners of the eyes turning up in a smile. Allowing the jaw to unhinge. 
lips to be soft, maybe curved in a slight smile. And letting the whole tongue relax from the inside out. And traveling down to the shoulders. Letting all the tension melt as ice melts to water. Water to gas. Feeling the inside of both hands, the space between the front in the back of the hand. The inside of the thumbs. The space between the thumb and the first finger. Space between all the fingers. Focus to the chest, especially the heart area, and relaxing there, feeling from the inside out. Let the belly soften with each exhale. I feel almost as though the belly softens right into the pelvic floor. Same time feeling inside both legs, the whole length. And the pressure, warmth, tingling in the feet. Widening your focus to be aware of the whole body at the same time. It's a really relaxed awareness. We're not trying to make anything happen or not happen. Just allowing sensations, feelings, 
whatever comes up to come up and then to go. With a really soft and relaxed attention, still bright and clear. spreads out in all directions, continuous space, the inside of the body to the outside. Just being in the present moment. Thoughts comes up, come up as they will. Notice the tightness or contracting in the mind, the body, the awareness. And just decide to relax open. Back into open awareness. Use the breath as a home base if you need something to ground the awareness. Or sounds can be a home base.
And for the last few moments, if you've slipped back into holding really tightly or gotten swept away by thought, relax back into open, spacious awareness based on a deep relaxation. hands over your heart and thinking or feeling what your deepest intention is. if it's up breath and opening the eyes <coughs> I think Cheryl uh, says she has to work the next few weeks She might be able to come next week. Okay. And then Mama Me was asking when your class is over because she might do like a little like tea and drama discussion. Oh, cool. So we're already on class nine. Which is called a description of the lower scope. Um, so this is Escaping Uncertainty, a study of Buddhist ethics. And it's Wednesday, November 7th, 2018. So we're still going over the Lamarin, and tonight we'll go over a lot of um, about finding a teacher. You know, that first teacher. It's really, it's really cool. I love reviewing. Okay, the first Lamarin is about a finding and relating to your teacher. Let's say Shenyan. 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 So Shenyan. I think it is. Um, so she is relative. Nian is friend. 
This is basically your llama or your teacher. It can also mean your blood relative, a close, a close friend. And this is basically how we relate to our llama. And this is all important. If we never got any further, it would probably be enough. And this is the essence of the higher teachings, too. We don't talk about this very much, either. Like, we, I feel, I think we used to have classes, about, like a lot more classes on guru devotion and that sort of thing. But it doesn't come up that much um, in the past few years. So it's nice to have the time to talk about it. Okay. So there's this phrase. Say, Dene. Gichi, Gichi, Lek Sok, Lek Sok, Jinye Pei, Jinye Pei, Tendrel, Tendrel, Lekpei Drikpei, Lekpei Drikpei, Sawani Lam Tu Tun Shi Nian, Sawani Lam Tun Shi Nian. Okay. Um, Dene is and then, Dichi, this and later, Lake Sok, all the good, Jinye Pei, however many happen to you in this life or future lives. And then after this, I don't know how they exactly correlate. Mm -hmm. It got kind of confusing. Um, I believe Tendrel get off to a good start or an auspicious relationship. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it's a little bit muddled. Okay. But... These are the words that he read off. So mm -hmm. you get it right, exactly right, pivotal. Pivotal. Okay, put that part away. So this is basically the pivot. I'll read the rest of them first. Pivotal, and then there's path, who, blood friend, a good start moment, shows you relation. So the this and later, when do we see our future life? When do we see them? Mm-hmm. Oh, after you see emptiness directly? Mm-hmm. After we see emptiness directly. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, we know that Buddhism is completely true, too. Mm -hmm. Then the pivotal, the pivotal part the pivot point of our of our whole path, the whole thing turns on this very crucial pivotal pivotal moment and part of our whole life, which if we get it just right, everything in this life and future lives goes completely perfectly. And if we get it even just a little bit wrong, things will be a complete mess. And it's it's also just a source of limitless power, the llama or the you know, the spiritual teacher. Mm -hmm. If we mess it up a little, it's a source of limitless destruction. And it gets more and more important as we go higher in the teachings. So we'll never get to what we dream of unless we find this person, the spiritual guide. We have to find our lama or our teacher. And we'll have other people in our life who will teach us scripture, and give us instructions, give us guidance. This doesn't mean that they'll necessarily be the only one. Um, 
But basically what this saying means is that your Lama is your blood brother, your close friend. And then also the other things that we're saying. So our relationship with our Lama is the great pivot of our escape from samsara. That's where we're turning away from or starting to turn away from all the suffering world. And that's our most important job is to find our teacher. And if we mess up just one tiny bit of the chemistry, it's really destructive. If the vibe is just right, this life and all of our future lives will be amazing. Because it is a pretty big statement. <laughs> yeah. So finding a llama with the, the following ten qualities, which we'll go over in a minute, is really important, but we also have to trust our heart as to who it is. And when we find them, we'll just know that it's right, and once we do, we have to completely throw ourselves into it, which is why we have to be very careful about who we choose. So from the first moment that we meet our Shinyin, everything we have is theirs, so to charge for class would just be a silly idea. Like, every single thing that I've learned or am saying, my teacher taught me. It's all come from the blessings of, of my llama. So there's nothing that I, that I could possibly charge that would be enough anyways. And there's nothing that a true llama would need from me anyways, or from any of us. The only thing they want is for us to practice and to get out of suffering. So basically what we do is we give our whole life to our Lama and then we get it all back. And our, they don't want anything from us except our happiness. So basically we just have to learn and practice really well. And what we're gonna give, and as far as, you know, as far as offerings and that sort of thing, of course we do that. And in the same sense, what are we going to give to a person who sees their own future and sits with angels all day? Like, we still give material offerings, but really what they want is for us to be out of suffering. And Geshe Michael, I've heard him talk about this a bunch. He says, how much to charge for a class is really a funny discussion because it's completely priceless. Mm -hmm. I think he only charges for... Um, residential retreats, I'm pretty sure, because he really, he really believes this, and he didn't charge for any of these courses, mm -hmm. so we won't, we won't ever charge for these courses. He probably charges residential, but it's probably just the cost of, like, food and, like, paying the staff. Yeah. But not his time or anything. Yeah. So this comes from the Sutra Alamkara. Do you know by whom? It was spoken by somebody to somebody else. It was spoken by Lord Maitreya. Uh huh. 
by my Shreya to Master Sangha. <laughs> so basically what we have to do is we have to look for this holy being and that's our whole life to find a Shinyan. And whether we found them or not, all these things are really are really helpful in ways. the 10 characteristics of a qualified teacher, which I haven't gone over in a while, and I, I don't know if I could list them all. I always seem to forget one, and it's, or two, it's, and it's different ones each time. It's like two or three more than is like easy to remember. Yeah. Like six or seven, it's like, oh yeah, I got that, and then 10 is a lot. So. Yeah, it is. Uh, the first one, say Dula. Dula which means controlled. Do you remember what that one refers to? So it means keeping the three sets of vows. Which, what are the three? The um, Pradimoksha vows, the Bodhisattva vows, and then Moksha vows. Or they don't have to be Moksha. Third one is like the, we haven't done any of these yet. You have to study oh, it after. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. So the three are the Pradimoksha, Bodhisattva, and secret vows. Basically, if the Shinyan is not living an ethical way of life, they're only going to hurt us and waste our time. Whatever level of vows that they have, they have to be keeping them very purely. Mm -hmm. And they must be avoiding the single thought that is the enemy of the secret teachings. And once we know what that is, you can just smell it when somebody's keeping it. You can, you can you get a feeling. If they aren't keeping their morality, then we should just stay away from them because they're not going to be able to help us. A real tantric master could look like anything. Could be wearing robes, could not be wearing robes, could be a man, woman. So we just don't know who it's going to be. And we just keep an eye out. <clears throat> and then the second one, say Shiwa. 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 I think it's a different list, but um, the Shiwa reminded me. Oh, what was it? But I remember when we were saying it sounds like... Um, like a list of your ex-girlfriends or something. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. I think one of them was Sheila or something. Yeah. But <laughs> Okay, Shiva is peace. Do you remember what this one refers to? Is it like meditation mm -hmm. and concentration? Yep, this one is they have to have the ability to concentrate deeply. The third one, say near Shiva. Near Shiva. Which means really peaceful. Mm -hmm. Remember what this one it refers to? Um, was it 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't really sound like what you would necessarily think it is to have wisdom. They have a broad and deep understanding of emptiness. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have to have seen it directly, but they have a deep understanding of it. The fourth one, say yin ten lakpa. Yin ten lakpa. Yin ten lakpa. Yin ten lakpa. And this one is spiritual expressive qualities. Do you know what that one refers to? Um, that they have spiritual qualities that are greater than yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, far exceeds the student's spiritual qualities in having compassion, wisdom, etc. Which seems like a no-brainer to me, but it's got to be there for some for a reason in the list. Well, I think when we've gone over this list before, you talk about how some of the great masters they would be each other's teachers for certain things, like mm -hmm. you know, one teacher would have great spiritual qualities in this subject, and then someone else would have greater spiritual qualities in another subject, and so they teach each other. Mm -hmm. So like maybe for the greater masters, it's not all, it's not like they have spiritual qualities in every area. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I know which is really which is really sweet. Yeah. yeah. I I mean I guess it's just saying like don't choose someone who knows less than you to teach yeah. you something. Because yeah. the other one seemed like, you know, Oh, yeah, yes, yes. Like, less and obvious. Yeah, here. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the fifth one, say, Sun Chi. Sun Chi. Sun Chi. Sun Chi. Effort has. Do you know what this one is? Mm, like, they put a lot of effort into their junior teacher? Like, not in a bad way, but, um, like, they try really hard to be and, like, they want to work really hard, and they'll, like, teach you even when, like, you're not listening or it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> that or one's you're kind really of getting over into another one, okay. <laughs> but you're sort of on the right track. Mm -hmm. They have, um, they're dedicating their life to oh, okay. ultimate enlightenment for themselves mm -hmm. and for others. Mm -hmm. So all their energy is focused upon saving themselves and others from continued suffering. Mm -hmm. And I see this totally with Lama Ami. Yeah. Like, all of her energy is doing that. Mm -hmm. Which is, is really amazing and extraordinary. There's not a lot of people in the world that seem to be doing that. Well, she's okay at the time. <laughs> 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 um, number seven, Lungi Chuk. Lungi Chuk. Lungi Chuk. Scripture in twelve. You can probably guess what this one is. Yeah, they just read a lot of Dharma texts and a lot scripture. Mastery of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Which what do you know what what that consists of? Mastery of the scriptures, which are what? Like the sutras? Or the three. No. We don't talk about this very much, this term. The three baskets. No, but Ani brought it up last night, right? No. She might have mentioned it. Like Vinaya. Uh-huh. Um, 
spoken by the Buddha. Yeah, spoken by the Buddha, and then which is what it's called. The sutras. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Avinyamakosha. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what that like what that like that subject is. I guess. Yeah. So. The Vinaya is where we are now. Yeah. Sutra is everything taught by the Buddha. Abhidharma collection, collections of scripture. I don't remember right now either. Yeah. Um, no, I don't remember when we've studied it. Probably like 10 times. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> In the last courses. <laughs> I think there's different I think that's like the maybe like the Pali way if I, I've, I've never really studied that language but I think it is the philosophy, philosophy it says the philosophy basket does that sound familiar I mean I just like opened the yeah I just opened like the first website but like philosophy yeah, it's kind of, it seems like a huge, broad thing, because that's what sutra is, too. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's just not spoken by the Buddha. Yeah, Directly. the collection of the Buddha's teaching is the sutra. And then Vinaya is discipline. Okay. Yeah. I could see how it could refer to those. So, like, mm-hmm. discipline spoken by the Buddha and the general philosophy. We'll probably be looking at it next course. <laughs> yeah. No, next course is um, Okay, number seven, say Denny Raptuk. Denny Raptuk. Denny Raptuk. Denny Raptuk. Emptiness, great realization. So this one's kind of self-explanatory. They must have a great understanding of emptiness. Mm-hmm. Infinitely preferable if they perceive emptiness directly mm-hmm. and can explain the true relationship between morality, karma, and emptiness. And it's kind of tricky because how can we judge if somebody's seen it? Mm-hmm. We can think, we can judge in the way that watching how they describe it, do they contrast it? contradict themselves internally or do they contradict Buddhist scripture um, is it consistent with, with what we've already experienced because they're not going to tell us 
straight, straight out anyways. And then also, are they devoting themselves to knowledge that is meaningful? Do they t spend their time struggling with spiritual things, or are they out doing other things? <clears throat> and really, if a person is incapable of just describing the relationship between emptiness and karma and leading an ethical life, they probably don't understand it very well. They probably haven't seen that directly. If they somehow think that emptiness means that ethics don't matter, then huge red flag. Mm -hmm. I've never come across anyone that that I've heard say anything like this, but I, I've heard this over and over and over in these, in these courses, so it must be out there. I mean, Dharma-wise, I've stayed pretty sheltered, too, mm -hmm. which I kind of like. They should also be talking about compassion and living a good life in the same lecture as emptiness and karma. Number eight, say ma ki den. Ma ki den. Ma ki den. Teach, master, and process. Or possess. Do you know what this one is? It is a master teacher. And what does that mean? What does that refer to? That they're really good at teaching and Exactly, that they grasp, grasp the student's capacity and teach it the appropriate intensity and speed for the benefit of the students. Mm -hmm. If a student needs to be taken along slowly, then they don't push them along too fast. Mm -hmm. Number nine, Sewe Dakni. Sewe Dakni. Sewe Dakni. Love and embodiment of. They have the right motivation, they have love and compassion for the students. Ultimate benefit, not for, they're not teaching for respect or money or for fame. They really care about you and are really concerned that you succeed spiritually, that you reach the highest goals in Buddhism. And it's amazing to have somebody like that in your life. This one especially, you know, maybe because it's talking about the embodiment of love, but it's this one especially is really heartwarming. And number ten, Kyowa Pong. Kyowa Pong. Kyowa Pong. Distaste and give it up. Do you remember this one? Um, they never get impatient with students. They're infinitely forgiving. They never tire of giving repeated explanations of the exact same thing over and over and over. <laughs> um, or Oh, and they never tire of giving difficult teachings, too. I can kind of see this. I don't know if it's, I wonder if it's just like a, um, something that comes up when you teach Dharma. But I don't ever get tired of talking about the, or answering, you know, like similar questions over and over again. 
Maybe like the same person. Yeah, and not maybe asking questions, but like Geshe Michael talks about it, it's one of his teachings where someone will ask for his advice and he'll give it. And then they'll call him back and be like, oh yeah, my life still is hard. And they'll be like, oh, well, did you watch your ethics? And they'll be like, no, I didn't do that. Or he'll be like, oh, I sent you that book. Did you get it? And they'll, they'll be like, no, I haven't time to read it. And it's like you're asking for help, but then you're not doing anything. Yeah. I can see how that could get really frustrating. I'm like, why would I try to help you if you're not getting even, like, try to help yourself? Like, that kind of. But yeah. it's just like, well, I don't understand the concept. I yeah, think that's that would different. be have more patience where you're like trying to understand and still get it, but like that but being like and not take lazy or not yeah. even lazy, but just not able to do what you're being yeah. told to do or, or suggested. Like, even with my friends, you know, when they're like complaining about like they're a bad boyfriend and you're like they want your advice and then like two months later you see them again and it's like the same complaint, so it's like Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. true. Yeah, or annoying or frustrating. Or it's like, I don't want to hear about that anymore because, like, you have a solution and you're not doing anything about it. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, we'll go for a few more minutes and then we'll take a break. Okay, I think this next part is pretty Do you want to take a break now, or do you want to go for a little bit more? I know. Well, we didn't start till 7.45. Oh, really? Not 7.45. 6.45. We didn't go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> no, 6.45. Yeah, we started 6.45. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. Time goes by fast. Now I lost my place because I went forward mm-hmm. too fast. Um, I think we can take a break now. Okay. Not very far along, but I think we should be able to finish. You always say that. You're like, oh, we have (laughs) so much left, and then it's always fine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So now we're going to talk about connecting with your teacher. And like it says up here, this is critical. Your Lama is your only connection to the Buddhas. There's a lot of... Mm-hmm. There's um, really great text on this. We're not going to go into the subject too much, but the, it's really helpful to read them. And it's also being in their presence wears out enormous karma. So we have to think of them and treat them as special in order to continue their appearing to us Mm -hmm. and continue their existence in our lives. This is the first and most important path. And it's not that we want to have ignorant attachment to them, but that we give our heart to them with wisdom more so. And this question comes up, what if your shinyan has passed into nirvana? There's 64 karmas a finger snap. And they pass on. Do they pass on? Do they pass on self-existently? 
No. Nope. <clears throat> if the Shinyan dies, what really happens is that your karma wears out and they pass mm -hmm. out of your life because you don't have the karma anymore to maintain that vision. We don't have the goodness to be around them anymore. Then the question comes up, how can I regenerate that karma? Mm -hmm. To really appreciate that shinyan for what they are, who they are, according to every Buddhist scripture, they're in your life as a normal person so that they can help you get to Buddhahood. And they're more valuable to us than all of the Buddhas in the entire universe. And one of the reasons that I always think here is because they're the only ones here teaching us. The Buddha is not here teaching us. Lord Manjushri is not here teaching us. Master Tisha, White Tara, you know, like none of them are here teaching us. Our teacher is the only one who's here teaching us. And the reason we can hear the teachings from them is because they have the extraordinary kindness to come to us in a form that is helpful for us, mm -hmm. where they're not too high level, where we wouldn't be able to see them if they're, you know, if they were a Buddha. I don't have the seeds to see Lord Buddha. Mm -hmm. He could be in this very room, and I have no idea. Mm -hmm. And if they're too low, like an animal or something, we're not going to listen to them, mm -hmm. or even just someone who we look down on. Mm -hmm. So they come at the exact perfect level for us. And they're our only connection to that realm. So we have to recognize who they are, and then, we, then when we treat them as a normal person for a day, even a day we use up extraordinary amounts of karma. It's really good for us to reflect on how for us they are an enlightened being, and if we do this, we'll keep regenerating the karma. Mm -hmm. It's logical. There's all these tests that prove that our Lama is a tantric deity. And just to know that or to know who they really are is almost enough to keep them in our lives, too. Mm -hmm. And if they are a real Lama, it's absolutely no problem for them to appear in a different body for you. No problem for them to be in Italy and in Sacramento at the same time. And it's, all, and it's almost sacrilege to think that they can't do this, that they're a normal being. So it's a good practice to get into not to doubt it at all. Just practice not doubting it at all. I don't think that there's any harm in, in doing it. Practice not doubting it at all, and maybe it takes some time to find them, and maybe it takes a lot of virtue, but most of it comes from believing in it. And if we doubt it, we burn off the virtue. And not only, I mean, we know this, but if our, if our Holy Lama is a Buddha, they're not restricted to a certain form. They could appear to us in any way that's helpful to us. Even when we're not seeing them around, 
they could be teaching us some other way. They could be teaching us through teachers that we are seeing around or through other people in our lives. It's the same with every other being. Every other being is completely empty, and what we see is our own projections. They have no reality on their own. then ultimately we can't say that any particular being could not be our Lama. If we're just thinking about it logically. And it's a sign of a really good practice if more and more objects in our lives start to seem really special. So if our mind is getting sweeter and sweeter in more and more moments without mental affliction, then it's a sign that we're getting closer and closer to Nirvana permanent end of all of those mental afflictions. Then the opposite is also true. If things aren't happening, it's because we're not keeping our pratimoksha vows. It's often that we're gossiping or lying in some way. Not, not that we're breaking the highest vows, usually. And one thing about shenyans that Geshe Michael points out is don't hesitate, just go for it. The time is very short. There's no time. If you're on the verge of a shenyan, then just go for it. When you're on the verge of like establishing that link with them, with that being, a lot of people hold back a little bit, and then that hesitation kills them. When you're close, you just close your eyes and jump. You give your whole devotion to them, establish a connection, and hang on to that connection. Generally, most of us are really logical, but when we get to the shenyan, it's total devotion. We let them know and beg them for that relationship, keep it really precious, close to our heart, and we'll never, ever regret doing that. There's no smarter thing to do. Devoting your life to finding that shenyan and then to them. And if we think someone's a shenyan, and we do the wrong things and we hesitate. Most, mostly we're really like children. It's hard to recognize them and then have the right relationship with them. Our own mental afflictions somehow get in the way. And after a certain amount of time of knowing anyone, you'll start to see faults in them. And it's because of our own projections that we're seeing the faults. It's not because they necessarily have those faults. And it's really good to keep that in mind a lot. Everything I'm seeing is my projection, at least with this one person, with the one heart teacher. So... The highest good deed that we can do is find that shenyan and then give our whole self, our whole being to them. And this, we don't really talk about this very much. It's not often said or to a lot of people. And it's probably, it might be a good thing that it's not. You know, it's just people who are ready to hear it that hear it. But what Geshe says, there's nothing more precious that he can teach us. When we find our shenyan, 
They're completely in love with us and all they want us to do is reach bliss and completely give, we completely give our heart to them. And these are basic clues for looking and for each of us it'll be something different. So it's good not to hang on to the idea of what it should look like too much because then we, just, we can sometimes miss it too. And what we have to do is find the one that has the power to stay with us throughout all of our lives. If we find a real one, then they'll never leave us. And it's really good to go back to the thought that having any interest in this teaching in these teachings, at least at the time of this course, it was like you were one in 1.3 million people. Mm -hmm. Truly, any person who walks into this building has amazing seeds. And if we really take care of them, then maybe we become a great teacher or a great practitioner. They have, each person that comes through the door has some extraordinary role to play in spreading all of the teachings and the knowledge and sharing it in whatever way they're going to. And you could say that every person in this room has this destiny because that's the purpose of being a bodhisattva is to reach full enlightenment to help others do it. And so it would make sense that that would be each of our destiny. And there's really, when we've studied long enough, you just know there's nothing else that's worth doing. Nothing else is going to bring us happiness. Nothing else is going to bring even a little bit of happiness that we want. It's just like everything else is just kind of wasted time if we're not, not that it can't be turned into practice, but if we're not practicing And the older we get, there's just less and less time, too. And it used to feel like this when, when we were first doing all these classes years ago. I never felt like I didn't have enough time. But now I do. Now it seems like there's not enough time at all to do any, not anything, but most of what I want to do. It just goes by so fast. So if you carefully water the seeds, which you already have in your mind stream from past lives, each of us, you'll have your own circle of devoted followers and you'll be saving people's spiritual lives, which is the life that's worth, that's worth saving. And not to think that we're doing anything less with all of these courses. Moving on to taking refuge, which we talked about last few weeks. Um, which basically means trusting in the relationship between karma and emptiness. So this part will be kind of a review from probably last night. Mm -hmm. But refuge is really simple. It comes from two things. Do you know what they are? Um, renunciation. 
fear is the first one. <laughs> yes. So you're afraid of something, and then what? What's the second part? Oh, you think something is, can help you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you could... Oh, it's like way easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you could say fear and then faith. Mm-hmm. Afraid of something, this is going to help me. Mm-hmm. And so you think something's going to help you and save you from something bad. And the bad thing that's happening is called your life. <laughs> <laughs> And if we don't think so yet, then we're in for a rude awakening. Mm-hmm. I, think we, I think we know this. At a certain point, things will get deadly serious in our lives, and in the meantime, things will go in their own depressing way. And also, in the meantime, there's incredible bliss that's underneath all of what we're seeing, all of that's happening. And we can either create karma with the Pratimoksha vows or take the faster bodhisattva path or take the jet engine of Tantra. And if we don't do it fast enough, then this life will just wrap us up and basically will kill us. Basically kill us, it will kill us. It will. And the one thing we can do in this life is to see emptiness directly. And it is difficult. The odds aren't great, and, and we can do it too. Do you know what, what is the real refuge? The real refuge? I don't know if I would know this, but... Mm. Like near mm. the, the Kayas? Which one, which one of them do you think would be the real refuge? Oh, the wisdom body? Mm-hmm. Do you know which one that, what um, that one's called? Dharmakaya? Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's the Dharmakaya, which is made up of emptiness. And when is it that we meet the Dharmakaya directly? When we see emptiness directly. Yep. And so right now, well, not right now, but we, what we're doing through our practice, we're taking refuge in three jewels. The first one, the Buddha jewel. What's the, what's the symbol of the Buddha jewel? Like symbolically, what would the Buddha jewel be? Oh, like. It would be um, more or like, like the relative, or um, like not the real Buddha jewel. It would basically be like a statue. Oh, okay. Like a statue of a Buddha. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the real Buddha jewel would be the Dharmakaya, mm-hmm. the emptiness of a Buddha, mm-hmm. which you meet on the path of seeing when you perceive emptiness directly. And then, what's refuge number two? Refuge object number two. 
first one is Buddha. Mm -hmm. Dharma jewel. Mm -hmm. Symbolically, what would that one be? All the teachings and the scriptures. Mm -hmm. The books and the scriptures. And then the real Dharma jewel is A and B. So there's two of them. Number one, cessations. For example, cessation of being reborn in the lower realms. Mm -hmm or believing intellectually in the self-existence of things, mm -hmm. cessation for those things. And so where do you think we would get those cessations? When following our ethics and... And like a big, one big event. Seeing as we are Mm-hmm. So these cessations we get from the direct perception of emptiness. Mm -hmm. And those that that don't, for example, during the path of preparation, you re we would reach a point where we'll never be born in the lower realms again, mm -hmm. and, but we haven't seen emptiness directly then. Mm. And then there's nirvana, which is the permanent end of our mental afflictions, which is a cessation, mm -hmm. which depends on direct perception of emptiness again. Mm -hmm. And the most important cessation is the direct perception of emptiness, basically. So there's lots of emptiness in these. Mm -hmm. And the second one, the second part, the real Dharma jewel, is cessations and then paths. For example, the five paths or the three principal paths. Mm -hmm. So we have Buddha, Dharma, and now the third, Sangha. And what's the Sangha symbolically? That would be the ultimate one, oh. or the real Sangha so, like, jewel. So, like, other students on the path, and, like, people at your garden center and stuff? Yep, and ordained people, traditionally mm -hmm. with monks and nuns. And then the real Sangha jewel is all those who have seen emptiness directly. And what are they? Who are they? The Aryas and the Mm-hmm. So, the day that we see the direct perception of emptiness we become two of the three jewels, which is really amazing. Mm -hmm. And then all beings are going for refuge to you. Mm -hmm. We gain a state of mind which sees emptiness directly, we become the Dharma jewel. And the Sangha jewel, because we saw emptiness directly, but we don't become the first jewel yet, the Buddha jewel. And do, I'm going to skip a little bit, we have enough time. Um, the first time that we get real refuge is when we have the direct perception of emptiness and we realize that everything we've ever thought is completely wrong. We realize everything in our lives created by our past deeds and then from that point on, we automatically do only good things. Mm -hmm. That's the ultimate protection. Or really the only protection. No, it's not like there's any other person that can help us. And there's stories of the Buddha who, um, there's soldiers who are going to be shot down. And they run to the Buddha's house and they hide behind the Buddha. And the soldiers 
the other soldiers come in and just shoot them. So it's not as though the person can help us. It's the understanding and, and the experience of seeing emptiness directly. So now, the last thing we're going to go into is the four forces. Because we know that we can wipe out our, our old karma. And Jason Papa specifically says in this text, which is his own record of his spiritual experience, he says that we must keep using these four powers over and over and over and over. Refuge can take away our future bad karma, but our old bad karma, we still have to clear out all the garbage from the past. Okay, so the four powers. Do you do these all the time? I used to do them all the time. I think I do still a lot with my book. Um, okay, the four powers, <coughs> or four forces, can be used to completely wipe out our bad karma if used with strength and on a daily basis. I don't know how often I've tried that with one thing over and over and over, like every single day when I do my preliminaries. Just focusing on the same thing, like time after time after time after time until I feel like it's gone. I maybe did it a long time ago, but usually I'm doing like different things. Mm -hmm. Be interesting to just focus on one thing for a good period of time. Um, and these are explained in Jason Kappa's Song of My Spiritual Life. The first one say Ten Gitob. Ten Gitob. Ten Gitob. Ten Gitob. And this means basis of and force. This is Lama Ami was talking about this last night. Mm -hmm. Basis means that you fall down and you need something to push against to get back up. I really like that visual. Yeah. I don't remember hearing that before. And this step is taking refuge in bodhicitta. Mm -hmm. Is that how you practice it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I do too. Ref so we're taking refuge in emptiness. And if we think of... Five billion creatures crawling around the face of this planet, driven by desire for more and more things, and then the whole world that seems to be driven by this. It's really sad, driven to get something over and over and over that will not bring happiness. And then that's what we're getting up for every single day. The dissatisfaction drives millions of people to go and sit in these tiny rooms for 50 hours a week and then they don't get the happiness that they want from it even. Mm -hmm. So just thinking of that sort of thing is enough. And usually what I think of, I kind of combine the first and the second. Do I think of bodhicitta every time? Yeah, I mostly do. I, I, it usually, for me, it goes, man, I just did something. It's going to plant some crappy seed, mm -hmm. and 
I'm supposed to be trying to be a bodhisattva, and I really wish I hadn't done that. Mm-hmm. That's the, but that goes to the second. The second say number soon jinpei tob. Number soon jinpei tob. Number soon jinpei tob. Number soon jinpei tob. Totally wipe out force. To totally wipe out or destroy completely. This one's the regret. The intelligent regret of an educated Buddhist. And the logical knowledge that you've just planted a seed that will cause you suffering in the future. Then the very moment that we think a bad thought, we've planted something that's extremely difficult to get out and will only make us suffer. And as we go on, we become really kind of schizophrenic because we do something and then immediately regret it, which is really good to have it immediately. I mean, then it'll grow and grow to where we just don't do it at all. The third one, Nepale Larn Dokpetob. Nepale Larn Dokpetob. Restrain yourself. Force in the future. I don't think. I don't remember how it correlates. But this is the restraint force not doing the bad deed again in the future based on our intelligent regret. This one's hard for me because whenever I set a time, I usually forget. Even if it's 15 minutes, like I did that today. And I actually, I was kind of surprised because I didn't think I usually did this, but I, I totally lied to this lady at work. And, um, It was almost like I was trying to just, or like, change it as I was doing it so it wasn't a lie. Wait, when you were talking to her? Yeah. Yeah. When I was talking to her, because she called me for a few things and was asking questions, and I think I felt like embarrassed and and a little annoyed, and I didn't want to have to keep going back to the person and asking Mm -hmm. them, and I didn't think it mattered. And so then, ultimately, at the end of the conversation, I just said, like, I said, he said he's not going to that event. He said he's not going to anything at night, but that's not what he said. Mm-hmm. He said he's not going to the dinner. And when I, afterwards, when I got off the phone, I was like, oh my God, I just totally lied. Mm-hmm. And so I did the four powers, and I said I wasn't going to lie for 15 minutes, which... I didn't, I don't think I normally do, but maybe, maybe I just don't notice sometimes too, because I almost didn't even really notice. Like I noticed myself doing it, but then it didn't totally occur to me. And so until like a few minutes later and I was like, oh my gosh. And so I said I wasn't going to lie for 15 minutes and I completely forgot like, and then like a few hours later, I was. Like you forgot and you Again, or you just no, and you just didn't. I didn't like remember to think after the 15 minutes and rejoice about it, you know, about purifying. So then like an hour or something later, I was like, I don't remember. I don't think I lied about anything. And so I, mm-hmm. I rejoiced then. Yeah. But the time when that's kind of hard for me, it's 
easier for me to say I'll never do it again. But in a way that could just be kind of lazy because I know I'm not going to remember to remember the time frame. But maybe I could set a reminder or something on my phone or my computer. <laughs> what do you do? Do you remember the time frame? No, I don't watch it that closely. I kind of, I do very generic. I don't, because I, I, I never say never again because that isn't realistic. Yeah. But I don't set a, a specific time either. I just kind of do like a general, like, like, yeah, like I don't want to do this. Like I don't want to do this again. Kind of maybe is how I get away with it. But yeah, my four powers. I, for the most part, I feel like I do them really on the go. Like, if I do something really, yeah, really bad too. that I really, really regret, then I'll, like, really spend some time on it. But that's because it's, like, hurting my heart a lot more. But just if I notice, like, if the lady on the phone kind of thing, like, I would just be like, wow, that was not smart. Like, okay, I'm going to try, like, not to lie again. And then move on with my life. I don't know. It's, like, yeah. just a lot more quick and, like, a lot less. Yeah, yeah I feel like little a lot stuff of time. that comes up. Yeah, like just little things that comes up all the time, or like my thing is lying, but it's more like exaggerating, or like what you said is like easier just to say he's not going to anything at night, which isn't like you're not trying to deceive, you're just trying to like get your point across or like whatever. But I do a lot of stuff yeah. like that where it's like just this is what's easy to say. I'm not gonna like like engender any more questions or like just shuts down the conversation in a way that's mm -hmm. easier. Like it's more convenient. It's like, oh, this is more convenient to say and it's not that I want to lie or tell the truth. It's not about that. It's just like about what's easy. That's like my biggest problem. Yeah. Yeah, this, I should be on high alert whenever this person calls me actually. Because <laughs> you want to do that a lot. Yeah. Not like... It's, I don't think it's always that, but I'll be like, sometimes I'll be short with her, that sort of thing, because I kind of resent people calling me with detailed questions like that. Mm. I'd rather just send me an email and then I can look at what you're talking about. Mm. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about when you call me. And then I'm, mm. I feel like, I feel like the energy is like, I'm supposed to know what you're talking about immediately and have an answer right now. But I don't. Like, I, I do so many different trips. I have no idea. So I have to look up and look at the details. So it's, like, always I'm feeling, like, put on the spot or, like, mm -hmm. challenged or questioned or something. So I need to be, like, super aware. Or maybe I just don't answer and then listen to the voicemail and look into it. Or if I'm doing regretful things a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think what's helped me a lot more than when I'm annoyed with someone because they're doing something in a way I don't like, I think of it more of from like a bodhisattva attitude of like this person is calling me for help. And so like rejoicing more in the fact that I can help this person. Yeah. Than being like, oh, this is so annoying or like, I'm being disrupted or put on the spot or like I have to deal with this. It's like 
knowing that like this person is calling for help and like thinking of it more as like a they're calling me for help rather than to bug me because I'm sure you're going gosh she's calling me to bug me and so I do that day <laughs> in some subtle way right I think it um like it stirs up like my prideful feelings I think yeah too. yeah I think it that it's it's a good idea to like reframe it because she is she wants to get stuff done that is on her plate. She doesn't want to have to wait. Yeah, or like, you know. think about it. It's like, wow, I'm making someone's job easier or someone's trip smoother. And like, think about it. Um, and like, my dad used to call me a lot. And it would like, just, I would see his name come up. And I have a great relationship with my dad, but he would like call me and just like want to tell me something like stupid or like, you couldn't just email that to me or text it to me. Like, you have to call me. And so I just like changed when I saw that like his name come up instead of having letting that feeling of annoyance came up. I just like, oh my dad's alive, or like like oh my dad is like this is his way he's showing his love to me. So oh my dad loves me. I yeah. just like bring that to my mind instead of annoyance. And then it's like now I love talking to my dad, you know. And it's like it takes two minutes of my day, and like it makes him feel loved. And I, you know, it's like two minutes that I'm not annoyed, and it just like really changed. So, yeah, that's nice. And I do it with other people too who like call me and bug me. Yeah. And then, I should definitely do it. Yeah. Should do it with her. And I was actually, I've gotten better, mm -hmm. but obviously not all the way because I lied to her. But, um, but I have gotten better, so I think I just need to do some more work on it. <coughs> yeah, and then like rejoicing afterwards. Like, oh, I really helped that person. And, oh, that was a really great conversation. Or, yeah, I apologized a lot more than I usually do, which I yeah. think is good. Yeah. It felt like, it definitely felt like it was better, except for the lying part, but <laughs> overall. Yeah, or like even in a more practical way, just being really honest, like, oh, I, I have to look that up, so do you want to stay on the line, or do you want me to figure it out and call you back? Yeah. That would be a really honest way, and then it's like, you're not feeling like you're making her wait, or... Yeah. And some people just don't email. That's the other thing, too. Yeah. Some people just prefer phone conversations. I think her email gets... I don't... Yeah, I, I think she does. And I, I think she, like, a, just doesn't like her email either. I think there's, like... She might get a lot of emails, and the, it'll just get lost in there, too. Yeah, or she probably experiences where people... She emails people questions, and they never get back to her. Yeah. I know, which is a total pain, because then you have to go back and email them, whereas if, maybe if you had just called them, they'd be done. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, and apparently this is the one that stops our karma and that purifies everything, too. The third one. Okay, and then number four, Nyanpo Kuntu Chupe Tob. Nyanpo Kuntu Chupe Tob. Antidote Sun Activity Force. This one is the antidote, an action to make up for the bad karma. 
Could be memorizing scripture, doing a loving act that offsets the bad deed. The ultimate antidote, studying emptiness, which will naturally then lead us to avoiding bad deeds. The Diamond Cutter Sutra states that if we do these four powers really well, a bad karma that would otherwise take us to the lowest hells can ripen as a small headache. Mm-hmm. Merely as a headache. Yeah, which is really amazing to have that option. I don't even, I mean, it just seems like it'd be hopeless otherwise. Mm-hmm. If, you can't, if you couldn't purify Yeah, right? in a straight jacket and yeah, and just wait it out. <laughs> Try not to think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I knew we did. We got done fast. Yeah. So we'll just sit for few minutes before we do prayers. <sighs> Just let your physical body relax again. Having a dedication in mind. As we start the closing prayers. Uki Shukshin Etok Chan Lira Benshin Yende Tayami, Tigewo, 